Good morning, everybody. I was asked to prepare some thoughts on a psalm of my choice, and the one that immediately came to mind was Psalm 139. It's a profoundly beautiful psalm about David's experience and understanding of God. There was once an old shepherd who was also a Christian, and he liked to take his Bible with him when he went to look after the sheep. And one day he lost it while he was searching after a stray lamb. He searched everywhere for it, but uh, couldn't find it anywhere. Anyway, a few weeks later, he saw this sheep coming towards him across the field with a Bible in his mouth. And when he saw it with his Bible, he said, Thank you, Lord. What a miracle. Not really, said the sheep. It's got your name inside the front cover. So what's the connection between that and this psalm? First of all, it's about a shepherd. David was a shepherd. But secondly, David put his name inside the front cover. It says, for the director of music of David, a psalm. So it's written by David for the director of music to use in worship services, to be set to music. Because music reaches parts of our soul and spirit that words themselves can't reach. As a bit of an experiment, we're going to listen to some music as I read it to you. It's an instrumental piece that uh, Spotify decided that I would like to listen to. It's called Emmanuel, which means God with us, which fits because this psalm is about God being with us wherever we go. It's a trumpet and violin duet played by Chris Botti and Lucia Miccarelli. I'm going to read it quite slowly. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast.
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. David is describing his experience of allowing God into his life. Not only does God know everything about David, but David knows that God knows everything about him. God knows everything about every person on this planet, but only those who have allowed God into their lives know that God knows everything about them. The Bible says that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins, but when we allowed Jesus in, we were made alive. We entered into the knowledge of God. We now know God, and we know that he knows us. Verse 2, you know when I sit down, when I arise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. 
You are familiar with all my ways. We often talk about wanting to know God better, but this is about God knowing us. In any relationship, there are two sides to it. I want to know you, and you want to know me. In the same way, while we want to get to know God, he wants to get to know us. David was a man who loved God, and he has experienced God knowing him in a very intimate way. I could say that I know the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, because I've seen him on TV. But he couldn't say he knows me because he's never met me. In the same way, God wants to know us in the sense that he wants a close relationship with us and wants to share in our lives. Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. God knows everybody in the sense that he knows exactly what they are like on the inside. But God has an intimate relationship only with those who have allowed him into their lives. In John 14, 23, Jesus was explaining to his disciples in the Last Supper what their future relationship with God would be like. He says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So God the Father and Jesus want to make their home with each of us. Verse 4. <clears throat> Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. David says that God has known him in the past. You have searched me. In the present, you know me. And in the future, God knows every word that he's going to say before he says it. We worry about the future, but God is already there in our future. We don't need to worry about it. We live in time. It's impossible for us to understand what it's like to live outside of time. But that is where God lives. But even saying that is not really enough, because God created time. He neither lives in it or out of it. Verse 5. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David's job was to look after the sheep. This gave him plenty of time to meditate on who God is and how God related to him. But even David did not expect what happened next. David is minding his father's sheep. <clears throat> it's already dark. He can see in the distance the sound of a party coming from his father's house. A servant comes running up the hill. David, get back home quick. The prophet has turned up and they won't start eating until you get there. I will look after the sheep. No sooner has David walked in to the house, an old man stands before him. He pours oil on David's head, the future king of Israel. From that moment onwards, David is hemmed in. His life is no longer his own. God has laid his hand upon him. A little while later, David is summoned to the king's palace to play the harp. Whenever Saul gets into one of his black dog moods, David is hemmed in again. On two occasions, Saul tries to pin him to the wall with his spear. But God has his hand upon David, and he escapes both times. David is sent with bread and cheese to supply his brothers who are enlisted in the army. He sees this big guy asking for an Israelite to come and fight with him, to decide the outcome of the battle. David is hemmed in again. 
He knows he's been anointed by God and knows that he must respond. He kills the big guy with one stone because God has his hand upon him. Later on, when David has become king, he, a prophet comes to him and tells him that his house and his kingdom will endure forever before God. His throne will be established forever. In 2 Samuel 7, David says this, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Such knowledge was too wonderful for him. <clears throat> we may feel hemmed in at times, but it is for our own protection, for our preparation, and ultimately that we might fulfil God's purpose. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If David loved God so much, why would he even think about fleeing from his presence? Well, since God laid his hand upon him, he's been shot out with javelins, he's fought with giants, and now the king's whole army is after him to kill him. Maybe in those circumstances you'd feel like running away. Since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, our natural tendency is to avoid God. What are the signs that we're doing this? We stop praying. We replace devotion to God with religious practices. We get busy, but we achieve very little. Verse 9. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. Here's an amazing prophetic verse about from David, which predicts air travel. I used to travel a lot by plane before COVID, often before a flight. I would read this psalm and dwell on this verse because it described what I was about to do. Getting in a plane in the early morning and rising on the wings of the dawn and settling on the far side of the sea. <coughs> Excuse me. We have the opportunities and the means to travel to places that David had never even heard of, but even there your hand will guide me your right hand will hold me fast. Three times in this psalm, David mentions the hand of God. Verse 5, he says, You have laid your hand upon me. Verse 10, Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Jesus laid his hands, God's hands, on little children and blessed them. Jesus' hands, God's hands, broke the bread <clears throat> that fed thousands of people. Jesus laid his hands, God's hands, on the sick, and they recovered. David is saying that those same hands are laid upon me. They guide me, and they hold me fast. Those same hands were nailed to the cross. Because of that, instead of coming down hard on us in judgment, God's hands can be gentle upon us, because Jesus has made the way back into God's presence through the cross and resurrection. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David is exploring the universe of his experience. He has already said that God is in his past, his present and his future. He's talked about going up to the heavens or down to the depths. He's talked about traveling across the surface of the earth. Now he's talking about the dimension of light and darkness. He certainly had many dark days. Wherever he goes, physically or mentally, God is there and God sees him just the same. 
Relative to some people, I had a difficult childhood. From when I was five, my mother had to bring up four children without my father because he chose to abandon us. Much later, when I was an adult, a lady gave me a prophecy which began, Well, I know my servant's troubles. It went on to say that when I was going through dark days in my childhood and teenage years, God was there with me. God saw everything and he loved me. Those words somehow shone light in those dark days and redeemed them for me because I was able to see them in God's light. Verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The God that David is relating to is also his creator. He is focusing on God's work in creating him. He's describing poetically how he developed as an embryo in his mother's womb. If David had known what we now know through science, he would have been even more ecstatic. Let's consider what David had no understanding of, that we are all made up of microscopic cells, which are each far more complex and amazing than anything ever conceived by man. Michael Denton, a professor of biology, said this in his book, Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. To grasp the reality of life as it has been revealed by molecular biology, we must magnify a cell a thousand million times until it is 20 kilometers in diameter and resembles a giant airship large enough to cover a great city like London or New York. What we would then see would be an object of unparalleled complexity and adaptive design. On the surface of the cell we would see millions of openings, like portholes of a vast spaceship, opening and closing to allow a continual stream of materials to flow in and out. If we were to enter one of these openings, we would find ourselves in a world of supreme technology and bewildering complexity, beyond our own creative capacities, a reality which is the very opposite of chance, which excels in every sense anything produced by the intelligence of man. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. The focus now moves from an x-ray view of his mother's womb to the secret place, to God's workshop, where God conceived David as a personality with a soul and a spirit, where God saw his unformed body, not an embryo, but a person, conceived in the mind and heart of God before even a sperm and an egg came together. It is a secret place because my true personality is known fully only to God and to myself. The relationship that God wants to have with me is special only to him and to me. While others can share in it through interacting with me, there will always be matters of the heart and soul and spirit known only to me and to God. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. People often write biographies of famous people towards the end of their lives, but God has written our biography before we were even born. There is a book for each of us entitled The Life of Julian Owens or The Life of Matt Irving. If there was one page per day, 
My book is currently open at page 25,375. And what will be written in it? He will preach a sermon to one person. Now, is this book predetermining what we will do or merely recording in advance what we will do? Or does it contain everything God has planned for us to do and we could do if we walk closely with him? Verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. David is showing the level of interest and involvement and the number of thoughts that God has about him. Since I'm a mathematician, I have to know how many grains of sand there are in the world. According to the internet, there are approximately 8 times 10 to the power of 18. That's 8 billion billion. To help you understand how much that is, if we loaded up trucks, each with 20 tons of sand, until we had used up all the sand in the world, there would be 1.6 billion of them. If we then parked them around the equator, bumper to bumper, they would go around the planet 400 times. There'll be one truck for every family on the planet. David is saying, this is how many thoughts God has about him, and about you, and about me. Don't ever say, God has forgotten me, or God is not interested in me. Verse 19. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. We might wonder why this section is here at all. It seems such a steep descent from the lofty ideas that David's been expressing to asking God to kill wicked people. David expresses thoughts that most of us would be careful not to speak in public. If we did, we'd probably be arrested. The more that David allows God into his life, the more his thinking becomes aligned with God's thinking. That's why he says, Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? David has been showing us how God knows everything about us. He is present everywhere we go. He created us as human beings in bodies that are far more complex than any of us will ever understand. But he is also a God who does not and will not overlook evil. We are all born into the world as sinners and we have two choices. Either we accept God's provision for sinners in the death and resurrection of Christ so that our sin is dealt with once and for all. Or, we continue in life as an enemy of God who will ultimately be judged by God as wicked and assigned to eternal judgment in hell, which is also known as the second death. Verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David started this psalm by saying, You have searched me and you know me. He is ending it by saying, Search me and know my heart. Having realized how big, how loving, how powerful and how present God is, he wants more of the same. He's opening himself up to God to search him and to know him more. Instead of praying, God, show yourself to me more, why don't we pray, God, I open up to you, that you may know me more. I confess I hesitate to pray such a prayer because I'm afraid of what God will find. 
or how he'll want to change me. You've often heard it said in this church, God, shape us so you can shape the city through us. David says, see if you can find anything offensive in me, anything that stops God from knowing him as God wants to, wants to know him. Finally, he makes his choice. Lead me in the way everlasting. Not the path of the wicked, but the path that we now know is open to us through Jesus. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have made it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father because of your death on the cross and because of your resurrection. And Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us to be more open to you, that you might know us in the way that you want to know us and that we might enjoy sweet fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.